0: As most of us have found out the hard way in life, addictions, bad habits can come in a number of different forms. We almost immediately think about when we say addiction, addiction to substances such as drugs or alcohol. But we know that addictions and bad habits can come to gambling, to pornography, to shopping, to sex. We can get addicted to another person or to the approval of other people. We can get addicted to eating or not eating and on and on it can go. Hi folks, this is Andy, the analytical preacher, and I want to share today some biblical thoughts on how we deal with, address, or maybe even beat our addictions and bad habits. Anyone who struggled with a bad habit, certainly anyone who struggled with a true addiction or has suffered along with someone who has struggled with a true addiction we know how incredibly difficult it is to overcome those habits to beat those addictions once they've taken a hold on you there's a few reasons that i think this occurs one is in our modern societies i think we've come to misunderstand the nature of addiction and i don't think it helps us to address our addictions when we have this misunderstanding of their character. So we'll address that really quickly in a second. The second issue is there's two sort of intertwined ideas here. There's, if you will, there's an internal, there's a mental aspect, there's kind of a physical aspect as well, and both need to be addressed. And some recovery programs, some recovery attempts They try to address the mental aspect, though not always from a biblical perspective, which means it's going to fail. Or they try to address just the physical aspect without ever fixing the mental emotional part, which means it's likely to fail as well. Let's go back to the nature of addiction to begin with, you know, starting with Adam and Eve. As soon as they sinned in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, we notice neither one of them wanted to take blame for what happened. Adam says, Hey, it's that woman that you gave me. <laughs> so it's, it's not my fault. It's Eve's fault, but really it could even be yours, God, because you're the one who gave her to me. The woman you gave me, she told me to eat it. The woman's like, Oh, it wasn't me. It was that serpent wily and crafty. Nobody wants to take the blame the mistakes we make. Nobody wants to take the blame for the consequences that we suffer. That's just human nature. We saw it in Genesis 3, and we see it all through the Bible, and we see it everywhere today, including, unfortunately, of course, with our children. Anytime there's a demand for something, there'll always be someone who thinks that they can gain influence, a following, popularity, or money by helping you meet that demand. And so, if you're looking to not want to take the blame, for something that you've done, there will be somebody who will tell you, well, it's not your fault, it's your mom's fault, or it's society's fault, or there are systemic unfairnesses in our culture, and that's what, or in the case of addictions, there'll be somebody who will say, it's a disease from which you suffer. And since we don't blame people for catching a cold, we don't blame people for having Parkinson's disease, for coming down with Parkinson's disease. Why would we blame you for being a sex addict or for being a drunk? And again, that can be convenient in some ways to the person who's suffering. It's kind of what they want to hear. It's definitely convenient to those who are peddling that because they figure out how they can gain influence, popularity, following money from that. But the truth is, the Bible doesn't define an addiction As a disease, just blunt and straightforward, the Bible defines an addiction as a twisted desire that's become a habit. That's how the Bible would define an addiction. Let me give you a couple of verses. Jesus' half-brother, James, in his letter, the first chapter of his letter, writes, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. James is saying you can't blame the bad things you do. Yeah, you you have a desire. Somebody offers you the way to meet that desire. That gives birth to sin. You take action on that sin. And then sin continues to grow until it basically kills you. Spiritually, emotionally, and ultimately physically. The Apostle Paul wrote something very similar in Romans chapter 6. Paul says, Just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Paul is saying, Once you start the lawlessness, then it leads to more and more lawlessness. It gets greater and greater. But if you begin down the path of righteousness, then it will lead to sanctification, which basically means being increasingly set apart for the purposes and the service of God. Either way, Paul's saying you don't stand still. You're snowballing in one direction or the other. There's a secular scientific view of this exact same thing. I highly recommend the book, Mark Lewis's book, The Biology of Desire, Why Addiction is Not a Disease. And Dr. Lewis just goes through some simple physiology, some simple biology to say, here's what happens when you are suffering and you feel rejected or you're not getting what you want and maybe you want to feel powerful. And so you go after sex or pornography. Maybe you want to soothe something that's happened so it's drugs or alcohol. Maybe there's chaos around you. So you begin to eat or gamble in order to calm the chaos. Whatever it is, Mark Lewis says, you begin to engage in that behavior for whatever reason that's driving you in that direction. And your brain literally begins to wire. Your brain says, hey, when this thing happened, and then you undertook that behavior, it felt really good. And the next time your brain is in that mood, it says, go do that behavior because it's good. And ultimately, your brain literally rewires itself until you almost can't not do that behavior. Even if you don't feel that original catalyst anymore, your brain has now been rewired some neurologists have spoken about it like water running down a hill. And if the floodwaters run down a hill every time it rains every month or so, they eventually dig trenches, gullies, alleys. And when, you, when the water comes running down the mountain and onto the hill, it's going to run Into that deep gully that's been cut. And they're like, that's what happens in the brain. And now every time something gets poured into your brain, it's going to run through that electrical circuit and push you to undertake that addictive behavior. And so Mark Lewis's point is, that's exactly how the brain is supposed to work. The biology of desire says when we desire to feel good or feel better, when we desire to feel powerful or validated or whatever it is that we need, the brain is desired to wire itself to teach us this is how you achieve that feeling. So not only are addictions not a disease, addictions are actually a function of the brain working the way that it is supposed to work. And so what the Bible teaches is that we have to understand some actions like I know I can go to this fast food restaurant, even if it's late at night and buy dinner when I get off work late. That's awesome. But some actions are sinful. Some actions become addictive. And what the Bible wants you to understand is those sinful, addictive actions actually begin with bad thinking. They begin with false information. I've heard some folks in Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous meetings say that stinking thinking. And the Bible backs that up. John chapter 8, Jesus says this, If you abide in my word and you are truly my disciples, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Truly, truly, Jesus answered them, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And that's essentially how addicts speak about it. When when I'm working with someone who's addicted, when I'm working with someone who's got a bad habit they want to overcome, they say to me, I feel as if I no longer control it, my gambling, my shopping, but it now controls me. I have become a slave to my sin." And I say to them, yes, and I believe that that is based on some false thinking, some bad information to begin with. A couple of chapters later in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says this, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus is saying there's plenty of things, people, influences in the world that tell you this is good, this will work, this will make you happy. But really, they're only trying to kill and steal from you and destroy you. And I have the truth, and the truth will set you free, and I came to give you life most abundantly. And this truth that Jesus is speaking about in John 8 and that he's implying in John 10 just has to do with an understanding Of the most basic fundamentals, psychologists have told us for a long time, once our physical needs have met, once we're fed and we're clothed, once we have some food and we know we're not going to have to sleep out in the snow tonight, we immediately begin as humans to search for those next things. Once our physical needs are met, then these emotional, mental needs immediately become pressing things like Who am I? What is my identity? Where do I belong? Am I secure? What can I do to stand out? I want to make a difference. I want to be good at something. I maybe even want to be better than everybody at everything. And it's those basic fundamental questions that Jesus is talking about. The truth will set you free. So who are you? What is your identity? Well, the Bible says that you're God's adopted child? Am I loved? Am I accepted? How can I be validated? Well, Christ loves you. God loves you. God sold up the world. He sent his only son. The son loved you so much. Romans 5, 8 says that even while you were a sinner, he died for you on a cross. Do I have a place to belong? Yes, you belong in God's kingdom with your brothers and sisters in Christ who are also God's adopted children. What's my significance? What's my purpose? How can I stand out? How can I be good at something? And the Bible says, God wants to use you, your unique personality, your unique situation and circumstance in life, your unique talents for his eternal purposes. You have the ultimate significance. You just have to get in with church and church people. Realize that that's who you are. That's where your love and your validation is going to come from. That's where your acceptance and your belonging is going to come from. Your ultimate future is perfectly secured by the power of Jesus Christ. And you can be a somebody by working in God's kingdom on His eternal plans. And when we don't fully understand or when we don't fully accept the fact that that were made by God, loved by God, saved by the blood of Christ, that were God's representatives here on earth. We will, humans will, always, every single human who's ever lived will seek love and belonging, will seek validation and acceptance from other people or in other ways. Every human who's ever lived will try to build our own significance, understand our own meaning of our life, generate our own purpose, make ourselves stand out, make ourselves be somebody through our accomplishments, through our possessions. And when we can't, through other people, through our accomplishments, through our possessions, when we can't get the feelings that we want, when we don't feel like those needs are still being met Then we increase the competition against others. We work harder to outdo others. We may begin to lie to them. We may begin to manipulate them, cheat them, etc. But we never fully find love, acceptance. We never fully find purpose and significance. And so we really end up with one of two options. One option is try harder, work longer. Another option is just withdraw and give up and soothe yourself with things like drugs, alcohol, gambling, find your power and significance through pornography, etc. And so as I pastor people on a weekly basis who are struggling with unhealthy relationships with food addictions, with drug or alcohol addictions. People who are overworking and their families are tired of it. They're gambling away their money. They're trying to, as I speak to them about these issues, about their addiction to pornography or to sex, it always comes down to they're trying to soothe over some failure or some haunting sense that they're missing out on what they most need and most want in life. And Jesus is saying, every fundamental need that you have, identity, acceptance, significance, purpose, meaning, belonging, every fundamental need you have, I supply. Every fundamental need you have, my kingdom and my church supplies. And you are held captive, enslaved by your sins, because you've not allowed that truth to set you free. Paul writes about it in Romans 12, the first two verses, Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable And perfect, Paul is saying, you have to be transformed by understanding who God says you are, by understanding what fundamental needs you have and how Christ meets all of those fundamental needs. Your mind must be renewed and you must be mentally transformed by that renewal. Do not conform to the world. The world will tell you significance comes from your relationships, from your children. Significance comes from your money or from your job or from your accomplishments or how much you have to brag about. And when you try to feel like you're loved, you're needed, you're a somebody, you're better than others, you can do things other people can't. When you try to build yourself, your self-worth, your self-esteem, when that's the foundation of your life, And that's who makes you somebody. And that's what gives you security and significance and purpose and meaning and love. You will always have a hollow spot. And then you're either going to try harder to fill that hollow spot with these worldly ways, or you're going to repent and allow your mind to be transformed by the truth that Christ offers every fundamental need that you have. And the second part then once you understand the reason i reached for the thing that I'm now addicted to to begin with, and again, it could be anything from unhealthy relationships to methamphetamine, but when I first reached for that thing that I've now become addicted to, it was because I was trying to fill a fundamental need that only Christ can fill for me. Once I understand that and have some idea of what that fundamental need is, again, significance, security, love, acceptance, purpose, meaning, Once I understand what that fundamental need was and how Christ can meet it, then I need to aggressively work in a church with Christian people to understand how I can pursue the righteousness that leads to sanctification that Paul spoke about in Romans 6. And really until you take that step, it's very, very difficult to beat an addiction because the addiction started to fill in a hole to fill in a hollow spot. And until you understand what else can better fill in that hollow spot, that spot's still there. But remember, we talked about the neural pathways that become entrenched in our brain. Even once you understand that only Christ can meet your fundamental needs, and you've even come to understand what fundamental need it is that was lacking and how you tried to fill it in a worldly way and how Christ can fill it. And now you're working every day with some group of Christians or some pastor or yourself in an affected Bible study, and you're really working to understand and to allow Christ to fill that fundamental need in your life. Even then, you still are physically perhaps addicted because your brain still has those pathways. And you can, you are physically addicted to things like shopping, gambling, drugs, sex, alcohol, when you can't let them go. And so there's a second piece that we have to undertake in order to overcome, in order to really beat and put behind us our addictions. Let me read a couple of verses from James chapter five. Again, the half brother of Jesus. James says, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, James says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. That word there that is translated as sick in almost every other case in the New Testament, that word, which was originally written in Greek by James, is translated as weak. And sometimes it's spiritually weak and sometimes it's physically weak and sometimes it's emotionally or mentally weak. And I think James meant all of those things here. The prayer of faith will save the one who is weak. The prayer of faith will save the one who is weak in their addiction, who is weak in their habit, who is weak mentally or emotionally, who is weak and maybe even becoming physically sick because of their addiction. James was writing this to be all-encompassing. What do I do? Well, I need to pray, and I need to have others pray for me. But there's one more step, James says. You need to confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. I think James was the first one to say, look, when you have sins, and the sins are so bad, because sometimes We can cuss or we can drink a little too much and it doesn't really make us weak. But James is going, when you've got to that point that you are mentally exhausted, emotionally and spiritually wrecked and now even physically becoming sick. And again, the individuals I try to address who are dealing with addictions, they speak about that. They speak about just becoming mentally and emotionally tired and weak and exhausted with their addiction. And James says, when you get to that point, I think he was the first one that says, you need an AA sponsor. That's what I think James is saying here. Those who've been through an AA program, a narcotics anonymous program, a celebrate recovery type program, you know, there's often a sponsor involved, someone who has been through the same issue that you're now going through, who helps you through it. And here's the reason that's so important. You need somebody that you can trust, who's going to understand, not judge you. Once you come to a Christian and say, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with gambling, with drinking, with sex, with pornography, with overeating, that person should say, I'm glad you realize that that's bad. Let's confess it. Let's overcome it through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. So You need to find someone who's going to understand that, who wants to desperately help you, not someone who wants to judge you. And you need to confess to them what the issue is so that it is out in the open because too many addictions are hidden and that allows them to keep growing, allows them to keep running. Put it out in the open with somebody or a group of somebodies and then have the person that can hold you accountable so that when you feel like gambling, you call that person. I know I shouldn't. I know we've talked about it. Every fiber of my being right now says, I want to gamble. Every fiber of my being says, I want to drink. Every fiber of my being says, I want to look at pornography. And you need that person that you can confess your sins to and that can hold you accountable. They touch base with you. How are we doing today? And when you're at your lowest points and that, the temptations get the greatest, you touch base with them. You may have to change your environment because it may be a certain person, a certain activity, a certain place you go that triggers that neural engineering, that neural rewiring in your brain to fire. And then that fuels that desire for that addictive property, for that addictive behavior. And so we have to be really smart and say, I am physically chained to this addictive behavior. I'm going to need to change the people in my life, maybe the places in my life. I'm going to need to change when I'm alone, why I'm alone, how I'm alone, And I'm going to need somebody that can pray for me, that can check in on me and somebody that I can go to so that when that desire to repeat that addictive behavior reaches its pinnacle in my life on this day, in that hour, in that minute, I have someone I can turn to that can quote unquote, talk me off the ledge. So you need that person to help you until you understand why you got to that point point. And what fundamental need that you're not allowing Christ to meet, it's very difficult, even with the best sponsor and the most aggressive accountability. Even with moving to a new town, making new friends, it's just so difficult to do. Address the emotional, spiritual part first. Who are you? What's your identity? What are you doing with your life? What's important? Where do you get love, acceptance, validation, security, etc.? Address those parts of your life Allow Christ to address those parts of your life and then get really serious that addictions are physically manipulating and figure out how you can change environment, change jobs, change people, avoid even folks in your family and get a sponsor or two, get a Christian accountability partner or two or three that you can be honest with and that can hold you accountable and that you can call in a moment's notice until you can Rewire your brain that when these feelings, when this desire comes over you, you've now retrained your brain that you're not going to run back to that old habit, but instead you're going to do this. You're going to meet with this person. You're going to pray with that person. You're going to undertake this behavior instead. We absolutely can rewire our brains. Even at the ripe old age of 70 or 80, you can still, the brain is what. Neurologists call very plastic, very elastic. You can rewire your brain into non-addictive, non-sinful behaviors. I see it happen to people all the time. It is exceedingly difficult to do. Address the emotional spiritual part first, and then get very serious and very aggressive about putting people around you that can help you work with you, hold you accountable, and be available to you until you can. Through nothing but pure repetition, day after day, rewire that brain into a new way of thinking. Best of luck to all those who are struggling with addictions. Best of luck to all those who are trying to help others through addictions. I seriously recommend that you find a Christian counselor or a Christian pastor that can help you understand how Christ meets the fundamental needs in your life. And I will pray for you and pray for those individuals that you go to for that pastoring. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, this is Andy.